Hello and welcome to the Sky U Podcast by The Daily Gopher. I'm Chris, go away you fur. With me this week is Andy, Gopher Guy 05. Hello! <laughs> Steve Zips of Akron. I'm only four bourbons deep at this point. Excellent. And U Street. Hey y'all. Well, I may not be four bourbons deep, but I'm holding a, a, a bottle of bourbon like it's a paper bag 40, and I'm just taking straight swigs off of it, so... We may see how that turns out later when I can't pronounce, uh, you know, U Street properly. Uh, We have actual sporting content, and then we will get into how are you surviving the pandemic via alcohol. Uh, But first, let's go to basketball. Street, there's like actually quite a bit of basketball news that we have had happen since uh, we last got together. That's true, and there's a variety of articles up on the podcast. Uh, First and foremost, Kansas won the TGG Simulation NCAA Tournament after beating Minnesota in the Final Four. It was a devastating loss for the Gophers. In uh, actual more real news, in the sense that it is actually occurring in this reality as opposed to a reality that Zips made up, the Gophers have two transfers in. Liam Robbins, who comes to us from Drake, he's seven foot one, two thirty-five. He blocks a bunch of shots and also shed about seventy pounds from high school to college his first couple of years, which suggests Wait, the dude. The, the dude was a three hundred when he three bills when he went to college. Yep. Uh, we well, took like a prep sure. year, but he was about three bills. So I would actually imagine that two thirty-five probably comes down to about two twenty-five. Like or a really solid 230 as opposed to what's probably still a little bit of uh, a flabby 235. Uh, looking at his tape, he blocks all of the shots because he's seven foot one. Has really good footwork. <laughs> he also has a more of a face up game than a bruiser game, but uh, put up you know good double digits at Drake and certainly comes with a lot of potential to be a professional basketball player, like NBA professional going to get a contract somewhere uh, level he also comes to us because uh, ed conroy is his uncle so woot woot for that particular recruiting in in addition the gophers picked up a grad transfer brandon johnson comes from western michigan was all mac i think third team last year averaged 15 and 15 a game but importantly eight rebounds and the reason why i say importantly is that uh, it's hard necessarily to see whether scoring will translate across conferences uh, other players can be a lot more athletic, game moves quicker, etc. But something that does transfer very well, both uh, from conference to conference in college and also, to a lesser extent, college to the pros, is your ability to rebound the basketball. And Brandon Johnson is 6'8", 220, and there goes your additional depth at the four. So in both of the transfers, I think, are absolutely solid pickups. The open question for Minnesota is whether or not Marcus Carr will return. He's currently put his name into the draft. There is some rumblings that the draft will get delayed. I am skeptical about those. I am also skeptical that Marcus Carr will continue to stay in the draft. I suspect what he's doing is the intelligent thing, which is to find out exactly what NBA scouts think you need to work on. If you recall... Marcus Carr is technically a junior in terms of class age. He redshirted after transferring. But I suspect he'll be back next year. Presuming that's the case, the Gophers still have one outstanding scholarship. It is currently Kerwin Walton's, who's at Hopkins, if he would like to take it. That's unclear whether or not he will, but assuming he does, that's the rest of your class. Otherwise, the Gophers are still in for a variety of grad transfers because we all know Richard Pertino shines in the spring. All of that, and the most impressive thing to me was that uh, the dude went to Drake, 
at three bills, and the Drake strength and conditioning program got him to drop 65 pounds. Someone give the Drake strength and conditioning coach a raise because that's more than I would expect from a school of Drake's means. Also, have you seen have you seen Robin's like his arms? He this guy's like cut now. <laughs> He's like. I, mean, I, would, I just want to point this out, because this occasionally comes up in the comments of, of our blog, where people have this view that an athlete who's like an 18-year-old is sort of stuck forever. I'm not attributing to this you. I'm just talking in general. You've got a guy who's seven foot one and 300 pounds. Uh, that is a huge individual. But very importantly, that's a huge individual that on any reasonable strength and conditioning program is going to be unbelievably jacked when they cut fat. And so I think that Liam Robbins is proof positive, as Chris said, of what a good strength conditioning staff does. It is the most important position that people don't talk about enough in any sport, but especially, especially in basketball, where if your bigs are not well conditioned, it doesn't matter how talented they are. They're only going to be on the floor 15, 20 minutes a game. That's going to hurt you if you're weak. Alternatively, if you can get a big to go 30-plus minutes a game, which we saw last year with Daniel Laturo, that gives your team just such a better dimension. You have to worry less about rotations in and out. You constantly have that communicative center in the middle of the floor. You have the ability to have more cohesiveness. And it's really hard to match up against a 7-footer. There just are not that many people that are that tall. So I would suspect that if that continues, when Liam Robbins actually starts playing basketball for Minnesota, dude is going to look insane. So what I've taken from that is the reason I didn't get a D1 scholarship is my high school strength and conditioning coach sucked. Not that I lacked athleticism or talent. It's because you didn't take enough creatine. Uh, You should know I took plenty. I tried, friend. I tried to cheat my way through to the top. Or I guess it wasn't technically cheating back then. It wasn't a banned substance. Is it a banned substance now? No, creatine's not banned. Creatine's fine. Uh, it's just okay. that most people, when they talk about how they've like, taken a lot of creatine, really means taking a lot of human growth hormone. No, in my case, it was actually the creatine. That was your mistake. Hmm. So, Alex, um, we got Robbins and we got Brandon Johnson coming over from mid-major schools. Uh, for those of us, I'm not saying this is me, but maybe it was me. <laughs> Uh, for those of us who were burned by people like Alejandro Mir, who were like, oh, hey, here's a mid-major grad transfer who's going to come over, had pretty good numbers at his, uh, you know, Colonial Athletic Association Drexel team. Um, you know, you've got Brandon Johnson from Western Michigan, a bad MAC team, but a MAC team, uh, and Liam Robbins from Drake, a uh, Missouri Valley Conference team. These are guys from conferences that you might consider a cut above, like a Colonial, um, but still, these are grad transfers coming from mid-major conferences you talked about like the rebounding numbers being an indicator of maybe having better success or maybe just having like a stronger baseline for success in the big 10 but do you think these are two guys who are going to be able to come in and contribute right away at a higher level maybe than some of the grad transfers we've seen coming from lower major conferences Uh, Liam Robbins, just as a a minor note, is not a grad transfer. The assumption is that he will get an eligibility waiver because the NCAA seems to be granting a kind of one-time-to-everyone exemption this year. That at least seems to be the scuttlebutt. Brandon Johnson is is a grad transfer. To step back a second, I think it's important often when they eva- when you evaluate a grad transfer to figure out what exactly you want that grad transfer to do. If we take Alahan Demir as a good example of this, the reason why Alahan Demir played as many minutes as he played is that Eric Curry got hurt again, and Isaiah Enan was not ready 
whether or not Patino, from a coaching perspective, a criticism you might say is that, oh, you should have started playing Enan much earlier and kind of let him learn, let him make mistakes in games. There's pros and cons to that. I won't really touch too much into it. I think that Isaiah Enan probably should have seen more minutes than he did earlier than he did, but that's just a personal view. But the key point about Alhan Demir is that like Demir is a guy who you sort of wanted to say, like, he's going to play 15 to 17 minutes against reserves. That's what we wanted him for. He's going to be a depth guy. I think Brandon Johnson is unequivocally a depth add. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that you're bringing in a grad transfer who's a big body, who can rebound, who clearly could score the ball, whether or not it was super efficiently, whether they make that transition, I think that's a fair question. It's a much different physical nature in the Big Ten versus the MAC. And as you mentioned, Western Michigan sucked, so Brandon Johnson may have gotten more of the ball than he would in other alternatives. What I think you should evaluate at least Brandon Johnson on is, does he make the team better from a depth reserve perspective? And I think the answer at the moment is on paper that's yes, absolutely does. Do I think that Brandon Johnson will be competing for all Big Ten honors or is the second coming of Jordan Murphy? Absolutely not. Liam Robbins, on the other hand, again, we're going to assume that he gets the immediate wave for eligibility, is your starting center next year. And there is plenty of rumblings that the dude has the ability to go pro. So yeah, I think that's an absolute step up. Uh, the Missouri Valley Conference is a much better conference, as you mentioned in the CAA. Also, uh, he's a seven foot one dude that can move. There aren't that many of those people, period. And so I think in that sense, you're going to see a definite upgrade. The other note, and I want to be very clear about what I'm about to say here, Minnesota also had a previous transfer from the Missouri Valley Conference. If Liam Robbins is anything like that transfer was on the basketball court substantial step up so do we actually think minnesota will play iona next year or was that wrestlemania bet just something that we'll all memory hole and forget about because it was a twitter only deal uh come come later this year i thought it was funny I suppose it's, it was funny. I suppose it's possible. I don't, my answer is it's not likely. And the reason I actually think it's not likely is that Iona doesn't benefit Minnesota's schedule in any real way. And Minnesota definitely will need good non-conference next year if they have any hope to get into the tournament. The Patinos claimed after the last time they played on the aircraft carrier or hangar in Puerto Rico that they never wanted to do that again. So it's difficult for me to believe that that would have somehow magically changed. Plus, the third bit is Minnesota would have to pony up some money, I want to say, to make that particular version happen. And I don't think with the uncertainty of the financial picture that those kinds of games will be done in the same way. Well, I will say I did see another tweet basically saying that it wouldn't be at Iona, that they would play that game at Madison Square Garden. So in that case... I could potentially see that. Um, I, I again, I don't remember who the tweet was from now, but I saw that you know that the older Patino was looking at a couple other, basically trying to get like a home and home set up where the first game would be at Madison Square Garden and the second game would be either in the team's home arena or or tar- uh, not Target Center. I think it would, they were talking about originally it being at, at Williams. But there was another, I can't remember if it was Kentucky or somebody like that, where they were talking about basically the game at Iona would be technically a Madison Square Garden game and then, um, and then they'd have a home game back the next year or something like that. So in that case, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I mean, obviously... The Gophers aren't recruiting New York City as much as they they were a few years ago, um, 
but you know you'd still probably have a decent chance at getting a national TV game from Madison Square Garden. So, um, and especially if Patino versus Patino, you know that will actually will for sure get picked up nationally TV wise. So, um, I, I wouldn't rule it out, but I think I think as, as Street said, talking money wise, you know, as we'll we'll go into it here in the next few months. I don't think anybody has any idea what the hell we're talking about money wise here coming up in a few months. All right, so separate from the the specter that is shaky opportunities for a college football season, let's let's switch to football. Uh, but to talk about recruiting, uh, Andy, talk to me about recruiting. I I'll be honest, I've been drinking bourbon. I haven't been reading our, our recruiting posts. Uh, in case you thought PJ Fleck was a good recruiter in person, he apparently is even a better recruiter in via Zoom or whatever uh, multimedia technology that he appears to be using as the Gophers have pulled in uh, two high three stars and a four star in the last two or three weeks, two wide receivers and a cornerback. Um, the first name that you uh, may have heard was Brady Boyd. Brady Boyd is a wide receiver out of uh, Texas, out of South Lake Carroll. Um, you should have heard about South Lake Carroll High School uh, just outside of Dallas, if you know anything about high schools, I believe uh, that was Drew Brees, Matthew Stafford, um, multiple other high, high, high quality football players have come out of that high school. It's a huge powerhouse in Texas. Um, basically, he came down to deciding whether he wanted to go to Oklahoma State or Minnesota. Um, he ended up picking the Gophers. I don't believe he's actually ever been on campus. He was solely recruited uh, via virtual visits by P.J. Fleck. Um, supposedly, he is one of the fastest uh, players in Texas. Uh, I believe he's already been clocked to something like 4-4-3, um, which is ridiculous for a high school junior. Um, and so he has definitely uh, a vertical threat to him. Uh, the next recruit... We'll just talk about the other wide receiver today, Wednesday. Um, Lameek Brockington. He is a three-star wide receiver out of the state of Georgia. Sounds familiar. I think we found some other three-star <laughs> receiver out of the state of Georgia who's pretty good. It's, it's gone okay so far. It's gone okay before. Uh, he supposedly had offers from several you know, decent schools, Indiana, Kentucky, Miami, Purdue, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Texas Miami, Tech. Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. Miami, Florida. Uh, Purdue. Purdue's doing okay on their wide receivers right, recruiting right now, too. Rondale Moore and David Bell. So uh, this kid is apparently a up-and-comer. Um, started out not as, as highly rated, but apparently is shooting up the draft boards. Uh, he is now the Gophers' third highest rated recruit. Um, a year ago, apparently, he had one offer, and that was from Charlotte, and then blew up um, after 53 catches, 923 yards, 13 touchdowns this last season. Um, kid has incredible hands. He can pretty much catch anything. So, um, you know, that'll be a, a good spot for the Gophers. Um, and now I think they're up to, I can't remember who else they have. I think they're up to three receivers now already in this class, so hopefully that will start slowing down. Um, but I would say so far the crown jewel of the Gopher recruiting class a week ago they named four star uh, defensive back Stephen Ortiz. He's out of the um, Phoenix Arizona area, I believe. Ortiz, West Coast somewhere. <laughs> yeah, West Coast somewhere. I believe he's out of Arizona. Um, offers from Arizona, Cal, Nebraska, Mississippi State. 
Penn State, Oregon, Washington, and again, has not ever stepped foot on campus at the University of Minnesota. He was wooed by P.J. Pleck and a virtual visit and is one of the top recruits in the country, one of the top, I believe, 20 defensive backs in the country, and he's already taken a leadership role akin to what Carter Coughlin did uh, four years ago in recruiting. He has basically said this will be the best recruiting class the Gophers have ever had. He is taking charge. He is recruiting behind the scenes. He is working on a bunch of other top-ranked kids to bring them in. Um, Kid is ridiculously athletic, loves to be one-on-one on on a high-quality receiver. Um, I think when everything is said and done, we're going to absolutely love this kid. Uh, when he gets to the U, and he should hopefully make immediate impact. So, uh, yeah, P.J. Fleck is using the uh, the quarantine to really make a rather large impact on the Gopher recruiting class. Uh, I believe they're now up to eight players total in this class. They probably won't take a full 25. They'll probably end up topping out at more like 18, 19. Uh, but they're in on several other high-quality players. There's a running back out of Illinois, a four-star running back out of Illinois that the Gophers are looking at. Uh, there's a cornerback out of Nebraska that's one of the top 50 players in the country, four-star corner, that Minnesota is one of his five finalists. So uh, P.J. is doing his work. Um you know, if, if he can keep doing things virtually, it's going to be great. I mean, there's a couple of kids I think we really want to try and, and get on campus here, and and who knows when that's going to be available to happen. But, uh, you know, PJ seems to be uh, doing fairly good recruiting given the situation and is setting the Gophers up for another uh, top-ranked class in, in 2021. I am actually not shocked that PJ Fleck would be able to do something in this kind of a context. You know, it just... I don't think he cares. I, I think he likes talking to people and he doesn't have to be in person to do that. So doesn't, doesn't really shock me. Uh, all right. So caring is creepy. We're going to let that go. You mentioned the quarantine, quarantine drinking, quarantine drinking. Uh, I think a standard thing I've seen on Twitter is everybody's doing too much quarantine drinking. You get the normal reminders that drinking during a pandemic is bad, but nobody seems to believe that. As I've already noted, I am currently uh, ignoring that advice right now. What has been your quarantine drinking go-to so far? And we're, we're going to kick it back to street. Uh, well, it continues to be water because no real change occurs in my life in terms of the regular social distancing. And uh, alcohol is expensive. So as a, as a poor student... It's not something that I'm really delving into. But were I to have a drink of choice, it would almost certainly be some type of Kentucky bourbon. Well, at least you've dreamed the right dream. Uh, Andy, how about you? It's sort of a double-edged sword. Um, You know, I have been dealing with my four-and-a-half-year-old twins, so it makes me want to drink more. But also, I'm trying to still work a normal 40-hour work week while parenting at home, so I haven't had time to drink more. So it's it's sort of one of those frustrating things where it's like I look at it and I'd love to be just you know passed out on my couch all day, but I can't be because I actually have to you know pretend to be a responsible human being, which is a bit disappointing. Um, but while I have been drinking. I've been knocking off the cellar a little bit. I've been I've been knocking out. I'm just finishing up a, a Bourbon County, uh, Goose Island Bourbon County Bourbon Barrel Stout this evening. Um, 
you know, as it gets warmer here in Minnesota, uh, eventually we'll be going back more to the sour beer. I've been, uh, I've been, I've, but I've been hitting the, uh, the bourbon and the cocktails as well. I've already knocked out, uh, a couple of partial bottles that I had, had to go reload a couple of weeks ago and, and, and reload my, my liquor cabinet. So, um, you know, I'll be hitting, I'll be hitting those as well, but it's sort of been, uh, unfortunately, uh, a bit limited my drinking, not that I was, you know, crazy drinking before, but it, it's pretty much, pretty much just been down to weekends because I've had to work after the kids go to bed most of the, uh, most of the weeknights. And, and so, it, you know, still trying to actually do well at work doesn't quite match up with having a couple drinks I, I feel Pinocchio's nose growing three sizes as as I hear <laughs> responsibility and reloading the liquor cabinet after killing bottles. They don't. Something doesn't match. One thing is not like the other. Um, well, well, the thing is, is Friday and Saturday night I'm taking sweet advantage <laughs> while I can, because Mon- Sunday through Thursday I'm actually having to be a respectable member of society and not not you know, get things done in the evening. But so that's actually the real question. Are you guys having to do a lot of video conferencing? I'm I'm somehow blessed blissfully on video conference. So I don't have to comb my like way too long, not yet cut hair. Uh, I can wear the same shirt again if I feel like it. Uh, no video conferencing has been very good to me. Yeah. My entire existence has moved to video conference. I I feel for you and you're needing to be fully you know, adult. The there's a I happen to be in some in some capacity in academia. And most of what has occurred in terms of social isolation with respect to quarantines is to move everything to virtual online. That applies to classes, it applies to individual workshops, it applies to papers. This has been, I would argue, a net negative in a lot of ways, both for students and for teachers and professors, but certainly for the student experience, where it has occasionally been a positive, and I think this is an underappreciated part about the quarantine for certain kinds of industries, is that there has been a lot more ability to have access to resources that you would not get otherwise. So as a concrete example for this, you have a professor who lives in, let's say, London, and they have a paper that they would be presenting at a conference in, let's say, Cambridge. Well, if it was the regular existence of this, the way that would work is they would get on a train and take an hour train ride to Cambridge and present in front of whoever showed up into the room. Now, the vast majority of those kinds of things have moved online, and so those links go out to more people, which means that if you're interested in that particular academic field and you happen to have a free time and whatever your time zone adjustment would be, you can also go to the seminar. And that bit, I think, is is cool. Now, it's cool in a very limited sense because most of what we're dealing with is radically uncool, but that bit is is positive. I'm glad you've been able to take something positive out of it. I've mostly just started to stare at the same four walls and realize that I can't golf right now, and that's been a bummer to me. Of course, I'm going to go first world problem, because here's the thing. Like, you know, you, you complain about quarantine, but, you know, I have friends. We, I think we all have friends who are getting furloughed and everything else, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back away from my complaints and move back to celebratoriness. Uh, of the camaraderie of the podcast because the podcast is always virtual we have never been in the same place for a podcast (laughs) 
That is that is very true. The other thing, and I think we should talk a little bit about this before we close up, because it is something that I think does matter in a sports context, which is, as Andy alluded to and I alluded to, there is a financial question for a lot of universities. Now, some of this might be going a little bit far in the sense that I firmly believe that there are a lot of athletic departments that are doing a lot of interesting accounting to look less profitable than they actually are. But a very practical question, as we've seen um, the mayor of Los Angeles more or less said, we're not going to have any live events for a while. That would definitely include football, which would definitely include USC football. And I suppose UCLA, but let's be real, no one, including Chip Kelly, cares about UCLA football. <laughs> in, a, in addition to that, there are a lot of uh, other places that are saying we're not going to have football until students show up on campus. And right now, a lot of universities correctly, incidentally, for an infinitely lived organization are considering the contingency that students will not be on campus in the fall. Therefore, one possibility is that there will not be football, at least for some period of time, in the fall. And how do we think that's going to occur for universities, i.e. at this moment with the information we have, which is a deep amount of uncertainty? Of course, do we think football will occur in the fall? And if not, do we think football will occur this year? Uh, I'll start. No, there will be no football in the fall. No, there will be no football this year. If you're talking calendar year, there's way too much money to be left on the table and too many athletic departments will crash and burn if they don't play football. So I am of the opinion that they'll do some weird spring football season, possibly starting spring is a February kind of a thing to which I don't know. That seems ideally suited to Minnesota and our heated field and the fact that I like snow football games. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm gonna have to try and, and agree too. I, I I I hope that things get figured out, but seeing the, the discord and what everybody says needs to happen and what's realistically happening, uh I, I do not have great hopes that uh for one, that we're gonna have real kids on campus classes for the fall semester anywhere uh two that we're not going to have some type of late fall early winter relapse that's going to not result in some additional form of social distancing quarantine um and three uh, you know whether it be i i think the interesting question is going to be you're going to have some areas of the country Texas, parts of Texas, parts of the South, that they're going to be willing to say, you know what, we don't care, we're willing to take the risk, God damn it, we want to play football. Whereas you're going to have a lot of areas more on the West Coast, Pac-12 schools, Big Ten schools, where you're going to have their governors saying, uh, nope, no chance in hell. So I do think the best chance for a national season is probably going to be some short type of truncated uh, springish season. I know I saw an interview, Kirk Ferentz was asked today, he said, could you guys play 24 games in a calendar year? And he said, it's going to suck, but we could. Um, you know, I think I'll be shocked if they play a full 12-game season in the spring. I think, you know, best case scenario, you'll see you'll see teams drop to more like a eight or nine conference season and forget about the non-conference games, which is a whole other argument to what happens then to those smaller schools that were relying on, on pay games. Um, you know, there, there, there's so many different 
things that go into this that you know you we can't i mean we could spend an entire 45 minute podcast on it and frankly give it another month and we may um but you know i i i I am going to be pretty shocked if there's any competitive college football going on in in 2020 um but i do believe as everybody has said that these schools are so dependent on the college football money that they will find some way to do some version of a season um, in the spring of 2021, whether that involves fans in the stands, whether that involves quarantining teams, and I have no idea how that will all show up, but um, I think it's too financially sensitive to some of these schools to, to not try and do something. The great thing is is that we'll be able to debate this one for a while because uh, – we won't know. We we're not going to know until like the fall, and even then, it can change. This everything keeps changing too quickly, um, which actually really sucks because it's it'd be nice to have a little certainty. Besides, bourbon is delicious, and I would look terrible on a video call right now. So, all right, I think that's a good spot for us to call it. Uh, look for us again to bring you another SkyU podcast next week. In the meantime, uh, I'm going to add a little addition to this sign-out. Stay safe, wash your hands, go Gophers, Sky Yuma, row the boat.